Welcome to this podcast episode today. Our special guest, Yamaha flute artist Mimi Stillman. Mimi, welcome to Yamaha. Thank you, Kurt. Pleasure to be here. We've uh, um, done a lot of great things with, with you over the years. I, I think back to the very first time I met you, which might have been at a flute convention maybe 11, 12 years ago. You've been a Yamaha artist for quite a while. I have. I love my relationship with my Yamaha flutes and with you and the great team here. So, so let's go back to, to kind of the beginning of, of where we met you, and it was through Yamaha artist at the time, Julius Baker. And, and uh, the influence of Julie on your life uh, and your flute playing um, probably can't be overstated. That's true. It was Julius Baker who brought me to study at the Curtis Institute of Music when I was 12. And having started playing the flute when I was six, I had always loved the very unique Baker sound and got to meet him uh, at the flute convention in Boston, which was my hometown back when I was 11. Uh, out of the blue, he asked me to play for him at a Yamaha demonstration which I did, and then he invited me back the next day to play again. And for me, it was a dream come true, even meeting the great Julius Baker and then having a chance to play for him. And I started studying with him when he suggested that I apply to Curtis. And so that was at what, how old were you when you applied to Curtis then? I was 12 uh, when I applied and was accepted. And I am the youngest wind player to have been admitted to Curtis. And it was really the most uh, thrilling, life-changing experience to go there to study with Julius Baker and also with Jeffrey Kaner. What, what was that like to be 12 years old and attending the, the Curtis Institute, one of the premier musical institutions in the world, and, and here you are... Uh, 12 years old attending Curtis. What was that like? Well, for me, it was a great honor to be there with so many other talented students and world-class faculty. Um, but I always felt very much like myself um, because I just love making music and was thrilled to have that opportunity to do it there and to learn and to grow. Were the other, other students and other faculty uh, there accepting of you and you felt like you were part of the, part of the group? Very much so. Curtis is a really small, uh, very personal institution of about 160 students, or enough for one orchestra. So while I was the youngest wind player to go there, they've always had very, very young uh, pianists and string players. And my friends tended to be uh, the normal college age and older, and um, I think we all come together for the music. And I've made really lifelong friends uh, who are now core artists with me on my concert series, Dolce Suono. If you had to describe Julius Baker's teaching style, how, how would you do that? I think 
Julie Baker taught very much by example. When I first started studying with him, uh, he was probably about 78 or so, but still playing in every lesson and playing duets with me. And I remember the moment he first played for me um, in a lesson, not two feet away from me was this the great Julius Baker sound. And I remember feeling chills and goosebumps all over my body. And then um, how could I not do everything possible to emulate that? And one of his uh, lines that I always remember too, I, I, was, I was working on the Bach partita in a lesson with him and I uh, played the first movement and I said, Mr. Baker, uh, where do I breathe? There's, there's just no place to breathe in here. What, what, what can you help with on, on this? And he just says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then I thought at the time, wow, well, well that's good. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. But basically he just um, was very much someone who encouraged you to be your own best teacher. And that was a line he said many times. So teaching by example, having you emulate his sound, and some very important principles of phrasing um, and other aspects of, of playing would be his style. There are a lot of players today that are part of that Julius Baker lineage of students that are some of the, the greatest players and teachers today. Is, that a, is there some extra pressure you feel being part of that lineage to, to be the, you know, the, the best you can having come from that upbringing? Well, I feel so honored to be a part of the Baker School or the Baker tradition. Um, Julie taught flutists for over 60 years while performing in, in some of the world's major orchestras um, and making really important recordings. And um, I studied also and worked so closely with Jeffrey Kaner, um, my other mentor at Curtis Institute of Music. And Jeff was a Baker student himself. So kind of two different approaches to the same musical goals.
One of the projects you're real active in today is a concert series. Uh, this now in the, I think, fifth year, you said, of, of this concert series. How did, how did your concert series start uh, and, and move forward to today? I founded Dolce Suono Chamber Music Concert Series in 2005. And my goal was really to make music with my friends in Philadelphia for the audiences who I've been performing for there since I first came to Philly when I was 12 to study at Curtis. And so in the midst of my career, traveling, performing, teaching, I really wanted to do something for those audiences uh, with my, my dear friends and colleagues. And it kind of emerged from there. We performed for two seasons at venues at University of Pennsylvania. And then we outgrew those halls, uh, which was a good problem to have. I think the, uh, the rare book library at Penn, where we did a bunch of concerts, said, we really have to go to find bigger quarters because we're becoming a fire hazard with our crowds. And so I was thrilled. Um, so we did. We moved um, onward to uh, larger spaces and um, exciting collaborations with other uh, institutions, such as Curtis and my Dolce Suono trio is performing for Philadelphia Chamber Music Society this season. Uh, we also do a lot of outreach in Philadelphia public schools for education. It sounds like a, a pretty active schedule. You, you probably are learning quite a lot about management of a, a nonprofit and the business part of running that. Is that interesting for you? It is. It's been a wonderful learning experience because as an artist, I've experienced the performing and teaching side of things for, for a long time. And so having the opportunity to have my own organization and come up with the artistic vision and then do all the components necessary to make it happen uh, fundraising, development, marketing, grant writing. Um, it's really an interesting perspective on the business. Is, is that, uh, that you mentioned fundraising, uh, grant writing, all of those uh, uh, working in the trenches activities. Um, uh, does that make the performing part of it even that much more enjoyable because you know what's gone into making that performance possible? I think so. I mean, there is nothing like getting an idea about the kind of programming we want to do with my ensemble and then making it happen, you know, one, two, sometimes even three years in advance. Uh, we, we plan projects way in advance. Um, this season, we are celebrating the centennial of Samuel Barber, and we received our first National Endowment for the Arts grant in support of this. And we're going to do two concerts, um, one at Curtis Institute of Music, one at the historic First Unitarian Church, where we perform in Philadelphia as well. And we're going to have a panel discussion with experts. So in addition to our artists, um, we're, we're bringing in Charles Wadsworth, who is a distinguished pianist and um, director of the Spoleto Festival, who worked with Samuel Barber and Giancarlo Minotti for decades. And we're bringing in uh, Barbara Heyman, the um, Barber biographer, too. So it's just really exciting to plan and execute programs and bring them to fruition.
What do you think are some of the challenges today for a performer? You obviously do a lot of different things between your, your trio, your duo, your career as a solo artist, um, clinics and master classes. What do you see as some of the challenges for an artist today? I think the music business uh, is very challenging, um, and there's a lot of press on that, whether it's dwindling audiences or uh, decreasing financial support um, from foundations, from individuals, especially as part of the economic climate um, that we're facing. And I see that um, in my capacity as artistic director of Dolce Suono because um, I'm in charge with my team of uh, over development and fundraising and um, some foundations are cutting back, um, some individual donors are cutting back, so it's a question of how do you carry out your artistic visions without compromising on the artistic um, content there, but still making it happen and, and getting it to, to be funded. And I think um, marketing is an interesting thing. I think that the, the business is very highly specialized in that many ensembles specialize in new music or Baroque music on period instruments or kind of very um, kind of unique parts of the discipline. And I think what we're going for, just because that's the way I love making music, is a kind of broad approach in that in Dolce Suono we perform from Baroque to contemporary music. We like to con contextualize our premieres and our commissioned works within older, older music, sometimes on which they reflect. For example, this season we're having two world premieres. Uh, one is by Charles Abramovic, the pianist, in my trio, and he was jointly commissioned by Dolce Suono and by Philadelphia Chamber Music Society to write a piece for the Haydn anniversary. Um, because the Haydn trios are staples of the trio repertoire for us, flute, cello, piano. So Charlie wrote a trio um, that is reflecting in some way on Haydn and his legacy. And then um, for our Samuel Barber Centennial Project, um, I commissioned composer Benjamin C.S. Boyle, who is a fellow winner of Young Concert Artists, um, to write a piece that reflects on Barber's work. So we like to, to kind of blend the historical context for the music that we do. And I feel that very strongly personally as my approach because um, we're not playing music and doing musical things. Um, I'm also working on my PhD in history. I have a master's in history from University of Pennsylvania. And for me, looking at the, the world of music as a very rich um, world, very historical, setting it in context is, is very um, gratifying for me. With all the different things you're doing, the, the management of your your concert series, you're performing, you're playing. Um, do you have such a thing as an average day? What does an average day look like for you? I, I think my average days fluctuate a lot. Like sometimes I'll be practicing at two in the morning and then switch gears, maybe go to sleep, um, wake up, have a meeting, um, do a variety of things um, that involve marketing and, and grant writing for Dolce Suono, teaching my students, which I love doing. Um, I might go over and teach a world history course like I'm doing this year at Moore College of Art as well. So I, I love the variety. Um, I love the kind of create your own schedule a lot of the time. And there's, there's some freedom, but there is a lot of discipline there too. It sounds like from hearing you talk, you don't necessarily know what direction your career is going to go. You're, you made a comment earlier about um, making your own path mm -hmm. and that there is no 
what you're doing, there is no defined path for it. You, know, you have such a wide diversity of things. Is that, um, is that a, a true statement? Yes, I, I think about this a lot as an artist because I think um, really all artists need to find their own path. Everybody is an individual person to begin with. And then um, the kind of music you want to make or the kind of projects that make you inspired can, can really vary a lot. Um, from person to person. And that's something that I've always kind of discovered about myself as I've uh, learned and grown as an artist. Um, rather than doing maybe a, a more standard path as a flutist, might be as an orchestral player. Um, and I, study, I studied with two great orchestral players, Julius Baker and Jeffrey Kaner. So that's definitely part of the tradition I come from. Um, or maybe just a teaching focus. Um, I've really enjoyed crafting my own focus out of solo chamber teaching, running an organization. Do you see yourself ever wanting to, quote, settle down to that orchestral job and conservatory teacher? Well, I yeah, I think I'm not ruling anything out. Um, I've been performing as substitute in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Sometimes when they need me, uh, the first time I did it was when I was 15. and. Those experiences have been so inspiring and so exciting. And, and of course, I listen all the time to orchestral music. So I kind of am open to considering a lot of things and seeing, seeing where life takes me a bit. So but. what it sounds like you're saying is in 10 years, you could be doing anything. <laughs> well, I think definitely a lot of what I'm doing now. And I'm not sure what else in addition. But that's actually something I share a lot with students, um, whether they're my own students or when I meet with uh, music, musicians and music students across um, the country in master classes, I, I kind of urge them to think a lot, um, whether they're going into music or not, about finding themselves, um, finding their own path as an artist, in that there may not be a cookie cutter career for you. And just to, to be your most satisfied and to do kind of your best, your best, most gratifying work, it's good to think individually. Well, you would certainly be the perfect example of that. There is no cookie cutter world for what you do. Thank you. What was your first introduction to Yamaha flutes? You've been playing Yamaha now for, for quite some time. Um, tell me about how you came to play Yamaha. Actually, my very first flute was a Yamaha. So I, st I started on a Yamaha student flute um, back when I was six. I had been playing recorder for about a year and my mom who is an amateur clarinetist, got me started on recorder, taught me how to read music, and then within about a year, I had fallen in love with the sound of the flute. So I knew I wanted to play flute, and my parents said okay, and brought home a, a Yamaha student flute. So I played that for many years, um, as kind of my first round with Yamaha. But um, actually, in, in terms of my, my relationship with Yamaha professional flutes, that really started after I was at the Curtis Institute of Music, um, studying with Julius Baker and Jeffrey Kaner. And they just had me try their flutes. Um, and I, I loved them instantly and made the switch. And shortly after that, joined the, the Yamaha roster. What, what was it about playing Julie and Jeff's Yamaha that immediately drew you to those instruments and, and keeps you, uh, you know, interested today in those instruments? Well, it's a variety of technical and other factors in that um, I feel very solid with the Yamaha level of craftsmanship, 
very reliable. All the traveling I do, lots of different climates, the, the flutes are really there for me and, and that's what I need. And also just the scale is so reliable and for, for players like us in, in the Julie Baker School, we tend to play pretty strong, like a lot of support, a lot of fast air. And I, I feel that my Yamaha flute provides the resistance I need to get both a really rich sound that projects well, but then to have the capability to do a lot of nuances and colors on it. Do you consider yourself one of those people that's always thinking about their equipment and always looking for the, the next thing, or do you basically play the same flute you've had for now you know, 10 or so years and don't really think much about it? I kind of both. I mean, I've been playing my two Yamaha flutes for a while now. Um, I, I often enjoy trying the new prototypes and head joints and that kind of thing. A newer addition to my collection has been a Yamaha piccolo several years ago, which I perform on quite a bit. Um, and then probably next on my list is a Yamaha alto flute. Thank you.